Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It's my weekly podcast where I pick the brains of leading investment professionals. My name is Raik van Ikerk and my guest today is Dagan Matthews. He's a Chief Investment Officer at Marriott Investment Managers. Dagan, thank you so much for joining me. Marriott issued a very interesting press release uh, and it states that the behavioral changes we have seen since the onset of COVID-19 has had a massive impact on the performance of many companies. And uh, you state that if you disregard the largest 30 stocks by market cap from the S&P 500, the index was in fact down in 2020, which is in stark contrast with the 18.4% total return the index delivered as a whole. Is it a case that if you did not pick the shares in the top 30, you would have missed the boat? Hi, Rick, and, and just first of all, thanks for having us in your show again. I think that's um, it's a fair comment. I just think the the performance of most of the, the stocks making up the S&P 500 by the, the biggest 30 is more closely aligned to reality. <laughs> I think, <laughs> you know, I think I think for, for most of us, 2020 was a was a very difficult year. I think it was a very difficult business environment for most businesses on aggregates. And, and it was just it was just, a, I suppose, few very big players in the digital space that that were were the beneficiaries of of covid and and really drove the good outcome when you look at the s&p 500 and, and that 18 percent return you you spoke about i think it's difficult for investors out there to comprehend such an outcome when we've all been struggling as much as we have and i think that gives some some color to that to that outcome for 470 companies in the u.s it was difficult and that was reflected in their performance I think in many ways it would have been luck that led to some fund managers holding the stocks uh, before the onset of COVID-19 because they were already expensive then. But let's talk about the stocks under the top 30. What happened there? I think that was they didn't perform well because the economic environment that they were operating in was obviously very, very difficult. To I think that's an understatement. So, So obviously their earnings more linked to the economy, to the real world, to what's happening, as I say, the, the real world, not the digital world. And hence their earnings growth was under pressure and dividend growth as well. Whereas the companies operating in the digital space obviously benefited from people migrating to more, towards a more digital way of life. And they're just a handful of big players there, as opposed to, to, to most businesses which, which provide goods and services for, for the real world. Duggan's stock selection, of course, is absolutely critical. But when you look at many of the portfolios of South African asset managers, you see very similar names. They hold shares in the top 50 of the S&P 500. Sometimes uh, they are only focusing on the top 30. But I assume if you want to, to find that 10 bagger, you will need to look at smaller companies. How do you go about searching and selecting these companies? We've got quite a rigorous process that we go through to select stocks. For us, it's, it's, it's actually not about tech, really. It's about, it's about quality, predictability and resilience. So we favor, I suppose, more boring, steady companies over flashy, high growth companies. And those type of companies typically fall within the, the consumer staples sector, within the uh, more industrial uh, parts of the market. And, and those companies tend to be able to produce reliable dividend growth consistently over many years, decades. A good example would be a company like Unilever or Johnson & Johnson or Coca-Cola, all companies that have managed to increase their dividends 40 or 50 times in a row. 
So we really focus on on producing portfolios that first and foremost can produce a reasonable yield for investors, a, a decent dividend yield. And then we want that dividend that we distribute to grow consistently over time. Mm. And as I mentioned earlier, those companies uh, typically fall within more traditional uh, sectors like consumer staples, uh, industrial companies, healthcare companies, those type of companies. Now, I'm looking at your World Equity Fund and you hold shares in some pretty big top 30 S&P 500 companies, Verizon, Microsoft, Visa uh, is in there, McCormick is in there, Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson. How many shares are in the portfolio and how many can be regarded as these big mega companies? Yeah, so it's, it's, it would be around about 25. So we, have a, we, we hold a fairly concentrated portfolio. They're all typically big, well-established companies that have been around for, for a very long time. They all have, you know, have very good dividend track records. I suppose where we're quite different is that, is that we own none of the fangs, for instance. So, so there's a, a big point of difference. We own a, a few tech-centric businesses like, like Microsoft or Texas Instruments, but they are part of the few tech-type businesses with very good uh, dividends that, that provide integrated software at the end of the day, software that we can't go without. So they, they fit the bill that we're looking for in terms of predictability. So I think all big established companies, uh, quite a, a point of difference, though, is that if you look at the S&P 500, I think um, 30% odd of that index is now tech. And our portfolios obviously have a, have a much lower exposure to that sector, favoring more traditional, solid, uh, stable uh, industries. You also state in the press release that the dividend payments globally declined by around 20% during the lockdown. The reason is companies are trying to protect their cash during these uncertain times. How does that affect your decision making? I think what we were really pleased about is that none of the, 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 the companies that we, we held in the portfolio, all 25 of those stocks, they, none of them cut a dividend. So, so I think when we reflect on, on 2020, we're pleased with how, we, how the portfolio held up. We, we're pleased with the, the dividend growth that we that we produced and obviously validates the, the filter process that we go through in selecting stocks because, you know, on aggregate, as, as you mentioned, a 20% fall in dividends and on a, a worldwide across all companies and geographies and on aggregates, the dividend that uh, the, the, or the distribution our fund paid out would have increased by about 6%. And that's exactly what's, what this portfolio is all about. It's about the resilience, predictability, and a good consistent income flow to investors. And I think if you look at the portfolio today, maybe tech has been the flavor of the last decade. But as you as you rightfully pointed out, pretty stretched PE multiples, very low yields, whereas these type of old kind of traditional rock-solid quality businesses are still offering investors a good dividend yield and, and a sensible PE multiple. I'm looking at the World Equity Fund fact sheet and the one-year return, the income return was 2.2%, which was more than the actual price return. So yeah. it does make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's part of uh, what generates consistent outcomes, having a, having a dividend to, to reinvest into the portfolio and to accumulate more shares in these great dividend payers. Marriott is all about helping investors build income streams for when they decide to retire and, and they're looking to, to, for a source of income from their investments. And we couldn't think of better investments to own 
for a lifetime than the type of companies that, that you see in that fact sheet that the likes of P&G, Coca-Cola, Unilever, Colgate, Palmolive, Johnson & Johnson, they're the best dividend-paying companies in the world. It seems like Averizon has got a dividend yield of 4.2%, Coca-Cola 3.1%, Microsoft 1%, McDonald's 2.4%. You know, if you compare that to South African companies' dividend yields, it seems low, but obviously it's in dollars. Yeah, so I think that's a, a big point of difference there. Obviously, we've got a, a, a much higher inflation here in South Africa, averaging between 4 and 6%. So if you look in the U.S., obviously your your inflation rate there is averaging between 0 and 2. So those are, we think, when you consider that's a hard currency income stream coming your way, 2 to 3% yield in an environment where bond yields at the moment are 1.5%, cash interest rates are 0. I think when you take all of that into consideration, quite a compelling income proposition because you're going to get that income, which is more than bonds and cash, plus you're going to get capital growth over time. What's really interesting, Ray, is these these companies, we believe, are great inflation hedges because they produce the goods and services that constitute the bulk of, of a consumer basket. So if they don't increase the prices of the goods and services they produce, we're probably not going to see inflation. So a great inflation hedge. There you've got a yield of 2.6% with a 6% growth outlook. And then you consider the U.S. 10-year inflation-linked bond yield, which I think is currently sitting at negative 0.8%. And we think that yield differential there is a sure sign of value from our perspective. I've spoken to many fund managers, uh, portfolio managers over the years, and I cannot remember that anyone has actually highlighted foreign dividends as a key investment uh, priority. Do you think that South African investors look very closely at the dividend potential of companies before they invest? Yeah, it's a great question, Ray. I, I mean, I think the, 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 our supporters and, and the investors with Marriott do. We've been, you know, this has been a philosophy that we've employed for over 20 years. But I think on bulk investors are, are looking for maximum total return. <laughs> I think that's, mm. that's the typical behavior. And, but, but they're, you know, investors, there's not just one way of, of, of deriving an outcome. Dividends can form a meaningful part of a return. Accumulating more shares in good dividend-paying companies helps over time. And then if your priority is predictability and certainty of outcome, as opposed to maybe just trying to maximize that outcome at all costs, then this, we believe, is a, is a sensible, more conservative way of achieving that goal. I think it's it's important to realize that you know often equity funds they kind of sit under one banner just being equity funds but but they can you know what constitutes those portfolios can be very different and therefore the risk inherent in those portfolios can be very different. Yeah, but it can also stabilize returns or total returns in a low growth environment like we're currently in. Yeah, so so what we saw with this portfolio is that it held up very well when we initially went into the crisis. And that speaks to those resilience of the businesses and the, the dividends that you get. But then maybe didn't recover as much because obviously the economic stimulus that got pumped in the, in, into the system juiced up returns from value stocks and, and less predictable, more cyclical companies. But I think with this type of portfolio, what you know is that in good times or in bad times, your results should be fairly steady and consistent because as you mentioned, you're going to get a consistent income flow. And then, as I mentioned earlier, most of the companies we invest in have never cut a dividend over multiple decades. So, and, and when they go through crises, because of the nature of their business models, what they sell, 
the, the, the fact that they produce what the, the, the things that we can't go without, they tend to grow in those times uh, consistently. And that, that leads to resilient performance and more predictable performance. It may not be the best performance, but I think you have a lot more certainty around the outcome. Now, it's notable that you don't hold Berkshire Hathaway, but they never pay a dividend. So yeah. is that the reason why it's not there? Yeah, well, that's not a long story. That's exactly the reason. I mean, it's not that we've got anything against Berkshire Hathaway. You know, it might complement the portfolio quite nicely. Warren Buffett is a fan, as we know, of dividend-paying companies, and he holds that within within that vehicle, those those type of investments. But yes, Rake, it's it pretty much boils down to to the fact that that company doesn't pay a dividend. Have you changed the portfolio much during the past year? No, we really we haven't. Uh, we haven't um, felt the need to to make uh, big changes to the portfolio whatsoever. Our portfolio tw- turnover in these funds is is very low. We we try and adopt a buy and hold investment strategy, and and we feel very disappointed in ourselves if we you know are forced to sell out of a stock within five years. We you know we 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 slow to buy into a stock because we want to get uh, we want to do our homework right, and you know we're looking for long term investments that can grow consistently over time. And as I mentioned earlier, none of those companies cut a dividend during COVID where dividends on aggregate fell 20%. So we felt no need at the end of the day to to make any fundamental changes to the portfolio. Does this approach reduce risk? I think it's 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 a low risk equity approach. As I mentioned earlier, there's, there's small caps, there's, there's so many different approaches to equity investing. It all kind of get lumped under one banner being equity, which is all supposed to be high risk. But there are many different approaches to equity investing. Some are more more prone to risk and volatility. Others are more conservative. So I think this type of strategy is a more conservative strategy for investors prioritizing some form of income flow and prioritizing some sort of sort, uh, more predictability with regards to returns and resilience in difficult times. The reality is we feel it's far more predictable to to predict the future, difficult to predict the future of a technology business or a cyclical business or a resource company than it is to predict the future of a company like Coca-Cola or Diageo, which is the biggest spirits manufacturer in the world, or Unilever, which makes all the kind of basic personal care items that we need. We think those companies, their futures are very predictable. And as a result of that, we think the investment outcome, if you pay a sensible price for those businesses, is likely to be decent. Dagan, thank you so much for your time today. That was Dagan Matthews, the Chief Investment Officer at Marriott Investment Managers.